0: We have to wait for things. It kind of makes things awkward, doesn't it? It's a little awkward for everybody. Right? Like, get a little uncomfortable. Start looking around. Is everything okay? (laughs) What's going on? There's this thing that waiting does to us because we're just not used to it, right? Just not. We're not used to waiting. It's not something that that we value. It's not something that we we like to do, it's usually something that we do whatever we can to avoid, right? It's something we try to avoid at almost all costs. Uh, in fact, many of our, our technological advances um, have caused waiting to be that much more difficult to, be, to experience. Um, I, how many of us, when we have a, a few seconds to spare or a few minutes to spare, rather than just waiting, doing nothing, just hanging out, we immediately go to watch a few minutes of TV or turn on the radio or flip on the, the iPhone or go to the iPad or, or whatever because we just want to get rid of the time between what we have right now and what we've got coming up next. Um, how many of you have ever heard, heard of the newspaper The Onion? Anybody familiar with this? Okay, a lot Well, good, most of you. It's, it's like a satire, uh, and somebody uh, pointed this article out to me, shared it with me, uh, and I think you, you'll appreciate it, so I wanted you to uh, be able to, to experience it too. It says this, it says, Expressing their growing frustration with the unacceptable weight experienced while looking from one electronic device to another, millions of Americans nationwide reportedly demanded a new form of media Wednesday to bridge the entertainment gap they endure while turning their heads from their laptops to their cell phones. According to reports from across the country, citizens are loudly calling for a device or program capable of keeping them captivated as they move their eyes from a computer screen to a smartphone screen, arguing that a new source of video and audio stimulation is vital to alleviating the excruciating boredom that currently accompanies this prolonged transition. Whenever I switch from my laptop to my iPhone, I hate how there's never anything good for me to look at in between, said one 28-year-old resident, echoing the sentiment of millions of people across the country who conveyed their dissatisfaction with the current lack of images and sounds capable of holding their attention during this period. It takes forever for me to go from checking my Facebook notifications on my computer to a text message on my phone, what am I supposed to do during that time? Do you really expect me to just stare at a bunch of empty space? I just want something to scroll through or click on or swipe, she added. I can't keep looking at nothing. Men and women in all 50 states are reportedly insisting that the nation's top engineers and tech companies begin immediately developing some kind of constantly updating content feed or colorful colorful display that is capable of glowing, vibrating, or emitting a short jingle. During those moments, they turn their heads to one side or another, a period in which they are currently deprived of access to any source of media stimulation whatsoever. Additionally, a full 95% of respondents insisted on the installation of an additional screen on the backs of their phones and tablets for those moments in which such devices are left resting face down. A lot of the time, I'll have to plug in my laptop or Kindle so I can keep using it. But the electrical outlet is just this white piece of plastic that doesn't move or give me badges or anything. There should be some screens there that I can look at instead, said Elizabeth of El Paso, Texas. But the screen shouldn't take any time to load, she added. I don't want to have to wait. I don't like that. Now, I like that article. Obviously, it's a little bit over the top. But I do think it speaks to a little bit of this experience that we have in, in the fact that we don't do well when our time isn't occupied. We don't do well, most of us don't do well, in, this, in these in-between moments. We don't know how to live in the tension that waiting causes us, and it causes us a lot of tension. Many of us, myself included, are people who don't know how to wait well. For the last, uh, over the course of the last couple months, we've been reading through uh, two letters written by Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest followers. Uh, we've been reading... Uh, the encouraging and challenging words that he wrote to this group of people who are trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus together at that place, at that time. Uh, what does it look like for them to be, to be followers of Jesus? And in these letters, Peter was, was he, a lot of times he would say the same stuff over and over again. He would, would remind them of things, and he was trying to get them to remember the fact that they're living between two worlds, They're living between two worlds. They're living in a tension of waiting between the the fallen and broken uh, and pain-filled world that is now and the one that is to come. And what Peter does then in the the last uh, section of his second letter, he also mentioned this in some other places too, that's our focus today, is that he says, look, you guys are already aware of this stuff. You already know it. We've talked about it before. And I just want to take time to remind you of it. I want to take a few minutes, he says, "to, to like rehash this with you. Uh, to, to, to make sure that you don't forget what God is up to because waiting is a hard thing to do. In the place where you are, when you're waiting in one world and you're hoping for another, it's a hard place to be and It's difficult for us today just like it was difficult for them. So how do we wait well? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we wait well? How do we make it count? How can we value this time waiting between two worlds in a way that honors God? So let's talk about that. Let's review Uh, some of what Peter said about that this morning. So your first blank there in your outline, you haven't pulled it out yet, go ahead and, and pull out your outline. The first blank is this, is that I value the waiting time. I value the waiting time when, number one, I look to the future with hope. When I look to the future with hope. Now, uh, have, uh, have you ever noticed that um, when we, we, we wait better when we know that the thing that we're waiting for is going to be awesome, right? Like, we do a better job of waiting when we know what that thing is that we're waiting for is just going to be great. How many roller coaster fans do we have in here? Okay. Wow, really? That's like 90%, I'll bet. Um, yeah, so when we, get, when we go to, to a roller coaster, people will wait in line for a roller coaster for, what, one hour, two hours, three hours? Right? we will stand in 95 degree heat in close proximity with a whole bunch of people, right? Just to go on this ride that lasts about 30 to 45 seconds, right? Usually some of them are a little bit longer than that. But the reason that we're willing to do that, the reason that we're willing to wait in those lines is because we know that this is going to be awesome, right? This is just going to be great and 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 we have this level of excitement about it. But when is the last time any of you Waited for three plus hours for the merry-go-round, right? Nobody does that. I don't. I'm not going to make you raise your hands if you do that. But but very few people because it's like, oh, you know what? I I know how to spin in circles. I'll do that another time. Right? No one's going to wait in line for three hours to go to the merry-go-round. Or or you'll see a movie release where there's this big movie release and people will camp out in line, sometimes multiple days ahead of time. Think about like Star Wars and stuff like that. People. Camp out way ahead of time, right? Because they're anticipating, they know, like, this is so exciting. They are so pumped for what this thing is that they're waiting for. They're convinced that what they're waiting for is worth camping out like that for so many days. Those who have the most excitement about the thing, the thing that is coming are those who do the best waiting. For those people, waiting doesn't become wasted time. The waiting becomes an adventure in anticipation. It becomes an experience of excitement. You, you uh, anticipate with great excitement what's coming next. My son, uh, Jacoby, uh, loves his grandparents. He loves his grandparents. Uh, and just yesterday, he got to spend time with, a, with, a, with two of them uh, for most of the day, and they took him to City Island and they went on the, the train over there. How many of you have been on that train before? Okay, a few of you. How many of you waited for three plus hours to get exactly? That's my point. Okay, so But he, he, he gets spoiled by them, and, and, and the last couple times they've come, they've taken him to this train, and so that, that's just it for him. And so he loves, he loves to be with them, and they love, they love to be with him. And one of our favorite parts about them coming, one of our favorite parts about them coming, we call, they're called, well, we call them Mimi and Poppy, is, is to see the look on his face when he finds out that his Mimi and Poppy are going to show up soon, that Mimi and Poppy are going to be visiting a couple days from now. And when we tell him that, when we, see that when, when, when we say that Mimi and Poppy are coming in a few days, what happens? What happens? His face lights up, right? His countenance just expands. He, he looks us in the eyes and he, and he says those words that are two of my favorite ones that he says. He goes, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy, Mimi and Poppy come. Mimi and Poppy come. And until they do show up a few days later, every once in a while, once when, they re- when he remembers that, oh, yeah, they're coming soon, they're coming soon, he asks out loud with excitement, Mimi and Poppy come a day? Mimi and Poppy come a day? He gets so excited in anticipation for their arrival. It changes his countenance, it changes his demeanor, and it changes his focus. And as followers of Jesus, as people who have, have, have asked him to be our leader and our forgiver, we're invited to anticipate the return of Jesus in a similar way. Jesus promised that he would return one day again. And it's a core Christian belief it's referred to in a number of different places in Scripture as our blessed hope, as our blessed hope that one day Jesus will return and will make all things new. Uh, In 2 Peter 3, uh, he talks about this a bunch. We're just going to look at a couple pieces of it. He reminds them, again, he says, I've told you this before, guys, and I want to remind, it's important for you to remember this. In verse 15, which is in your outline, he says this, he says, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That is the ultimate hope. When we we talk about waiting, that's what we're waiting for. As, as, As followers of Jesus, we're waiting for Jesus to one day return in all his fullness, to make the heavens and the earth new, and things will finally be the way that they should be. Uh, in one of the coolest sections of Scripture, uh, Revelation chapter 21, uh, the writer paints a little bit of a, of a picture of this. It's not in your outline, so I'm just going to uh, read it to you, but he, he talks a little bit more about what this is going to be like. The first few verses of chapter 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That is the end result of what is going to happen. That that gives us a snapshot of what it's going to look like in the end. That's the blessed hope that Scripture talks about, that that followers of Jesus are looking forward to with anticipation. That's what we're, we're waiting for. But it's a long and a difficult wait. It was for Christians in Peter's day as well. They were, in that time, they were, they were mocked for their faith. They were getting mocked. It was something that, in this chapter, Peter talks a little bit about that. People were taunting them, saying, hey, when we, where is this Jesus of yours? Like, where is he? Like, you, you keep saying he's coming back. Where is he? Where is this coming that he promised? And Peter says to them, he says, look, don't give in to their mocking. Don't allow yourself to lose your trust in God in the midst of that mocking. Don't allow yourself to lose the ultimate hope that we have in this waiting time. And he said, look, don't be surprised by it either. Don't be surprised at the mocking. They're deliberately, he says, they're deliberately choosing to forget and ignore what God has done. They're choosing to reject what he's done not only in the past, but of what he promises to do in the future. He says that these, these people who are mocking, he says they've chosen to live not in anticipation of what's to come, but instead they've chosen to live as if right now is just all there is, that this is it. And Peter says if you want to wait well, if you want to wait well, you can't lose sight of what's to come. If you want to wait well, you can't lose sight of what's to come. But we all do it, right? We all, we all do it. We all struggle to keep that end goal in our sights that end truth in our mind. I know I do. Even if we believe it in our heads, uh, a lot of times we struggle with anticipating it, allowing our lives to reflect that, that that's something that we're anticipating. And when we lose that sense of anticipation that Peter invites us to, that he talks about here, it's really easy for us to just start to lose hope. We just start to, to feel like, ah, you know what? I don't, really, I don't really have hope anymore. We start to trade our hope for fear. We start to fear about the things that are coming. What's ahead? We, don't, we start to fear the future. We can start to look toward the future instead of trusting God, instead of saying, God, I know that you've got this plan and I know that you're going to fulfill it and I, 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 I'm eagerly anticipating this day that when you promise that Jesus will return, we can begin to get over, overwhelmed and overcome by fear. And then instead of being hopeful about the future, we start to feel hopeless. We start to, to, to feel like, oh no, oh no. Peter's saying, don't let the mocking distract you. He says, "Don't let the mocking distract you." And it still happens today, right? I mean, Jesus is going to return again. Jesus is going to return again, really, really. Come on, seriously, Jesus is going to return again. It's been like two thousand years, right? Like he's like seriously, he's going to he's going to return again. He's going to come back. You don't actually like think that that's going to happen, do you? But as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we do. We do actually believe that. In fact. We actually believe that in the beginning of creation, God spoke the world into existence, giving human beings a special place in that creation with a calling to, to bear his image and then to reflect that image back to him, back, back to each other and to the rest of creation. We actually believe that our sin damaged and damages our relationship with God and with one another, preventing us from being able to be who we were created to be and separating us from who God created us to be. We actually believe that out of his great love for us, God sent his son Jesus in the flesh to teach us how we were intended to live, how to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And then through his death and resurrection, we actually believe that he took all of our sins and our shortcoming and our shame and on himself. And on the cross, he, he paid the penalty that we deserved. He defeated Satan, death, death, and hell, and bridge the relational gap that our sin caused between us and God. We actually believe that when we accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross as the payment for our sin, when we invite him to be our leader and our forgiver, our relationship with God becomes restored. It becomes restored. And we have the opportunity now to begin to live life the way that he originally intended us to live it. And we actually believe that one day, In the future, Jesus will return. The heavens and the earth will be made new. All forms of sin and evil will be destroyed, removed, purged, expunged. And God's kingdom will come in all its fullness. We actually believe that that's where this is all headed. That is what we are waiting for. That is what we hope for. Now, everybody that Peter was writing to knew this. (laughs) They'd heard this before. And he's reminding them again of this truth, that this is the story that you're a part of. This is the story that you're a part of. And he says to them this, he says, do you know why it's taking so long? He said this to them back then. It's been a long time since then, right? He says, do you know why it's taking so long? Do you know why Jesus hasn't returned yet? Because of the beautiful truth that God is patient. That's what he says. He says, because God is patient. He's patient with us and he's patient with the mockers. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everybody to turn to him, to come to him, to turn from their own way and choose his way. He wants everyone to come to Jesus. Everybody who's here today, everybody in this room who has made the decision to follow Jesus, who has asked him to be their leader and forgiver of their life can tell you one thing for sure and I can tell you this too. I'm so glad but God is patient. I am so glad that God is patient. I'm so thankful that he's patient with me, that he gave me the, t- the time I needed to-, to turn, to return to him. Why is this wait so long? Why is this waiting time so long? Peter says it's because God loves us all and wants to give us ample time to return to him. Life was meant to be lived with him, not cut off from him. So he's giving us time to come to Jesus to choose to live life as he intended. The waiting is so long because God's love, grace, and mercy are so great. He says, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so what happens? We wait. We wait. Recognizing the beauty of God's patience and eagerly anticipating this thing that is to come eagerly anticipating this future that he promises. And there's a great psalm uh, in your outline there, Psalm 130, that expresses a similar thing. I am roasting up here today. Excuse me. Can you see the glare? Is it more than normal? Excuse me. So there's this in tissue remnants. Okay. Uh, it's from... Uh, they're not, these verses aren't talking specifically about the second coming of Jesus, but they, are talking, uh, they give us a glimpse into this idea of what it's like to anticipate, uh, to be waiting, uh, the type of thing that, we're, that Peter is talking about. It's from Psalm 130, and it's right there uh, in your outline. He says this, he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. So he starts off by authentically, he's crying out to God. He's, he's celebrating, recognizing his need for God's mercy and celebrating this awesome forgiveness that God has, has granted. He continues by saying, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. It's such a great prayer, it's such a, a great song. That's the type of anticipation that Peter is encouraging his listeners. This is the type of anticipation that he wants them to have and that he wants us to have when it comes to this ultimate hope that we're looking forward to. We value the waiting. When we're in that in-between time like we are now, we value it when we anticipate what God is ultimately going to do. When we look to the future with hope, when we think about what God is going to do someday that he promised and our reaction is, Oh boy, right? Oh boy can't wait. Excited. And that brings us uh, to the second point there in your outline, which is this. Not only do we look toward the future with hope, but number two, I value the waiting time when I live in the present with purpose. And I live in the present with purpose. So there's a future element, right, involved in waiting. We've got one foot in this place where we're like looking towards the future with hope. We've got that thing out there. But there's also the today, right? Like we can't just look there. We also have right now in the present. If we focus exclusively on the future, we end up missing a big piece of what God intends for us right now. Uh, And uh, Peter, in verse 14 there in your outline, he says this, So then, right, so then, because we're looking forward to this future, because we know what this ultimate hope is that God's promised us, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. And so, what He's doing here is He's basically summarizing the things that He's been talking about in, the, in all of the, uh, the letters that He's written. He's saying to them, because you know where all this is leading, because you're looking toward that future, that ultimate hope, because you know that Jesus is going to come back, your job is to do your very best. He says, uh, what does He say? Uh, Make every effort. He says to make every effort to begin to to live now as a reflection of the way that you will live when he comes back. That is how we wait well. That is how um, we, uh, that is what our purpose is in the present. Because Jesus didn't just come so that someday down the road we can go to heaven. He didn't just come so that someday down the road we could get into heaven. He didn't just come so that we can look to the future with hope. Scripture tells us that he came so that we could have life right here, right now, to the fullest. We could experience life right here and right now the way he intended to us. He gives us eternal life. But that life starts, that eternal kind of life, starts right here, right now. He came not only to save us, but also to transform us, to develop us so that we can begin living now the way we all lived then. Sometimes... Uh, the word in, that Scripture uses to describe this process is called sanctification. Anybody tell me? Does anybody know what sanctify means? Set apart for use. Yes, to set apart for special use, right? And it's this—it's this—it's this thing that's a part of a development developmental process, right? There's this—there's this instant part of it where it happens right away, and then there's this part where God's constantly shifting and changing and transforming us to be more the way. He, he longs for us to be, the more he originally intended for us to be. Uh, in his book, The Land Between, uh, Jeff Mannion uh, says this, and this quote's right there in your outline. He says, perhaps if we can grasp the purpose of our waiting time, we can cooperate with that purpose rather than resisting it. The purpose, he says, is transformation. The purpose of the waiting time is transformation. So how does that happen? What does that look like? Well, it looks like spending time every day investing in my relationship with Jesus. Getting to know him better. uh, Embracing a real and mutual uh, relationship with him. It's not just me chasing after him all the time. It's not just him chasing after me all the time. It's a choice. It's a decision to walk with him every day. Uh, My son, my son Jacoby, who I mention now and then uh, when I'm speaking, uh, loves to go for walks it's like one of his favorite things to do. It's another one of those oh boy things. For him. Like he just loves going for walks. And he's at the point now where he can he can, he can move. Like he can he can walk on his own very, very easily. And so there are times where we'll take him. I'll take him out when we go out for a walk, and I'll just let him kind of walk on the sidewalk. But I'll be honest with you, it's a lot of, lot of work. Follow him, try to keep him out of the street and stuff. He does a pretty good job. He's, he's actually pretty obedient for the most part, which is nice. Uh, but usually if we're going to go for a prolonged walk or we're going to spend like, you know, half an hour or more, we'll, we'll get him in the stroller. And then we'll take the stroller out and we'll go for a walk through the neighborhood. And one of the things that I love about going for walks with Jacoby is that he notices everything. Like, he does not miss anything. And some of the, he, he just loves to, to point a bunch of different things out. He loves to, if he knows what it is, he loves to say, say what it is. And then I'm supposed to repeat back to him, otherwise he just keeps saying it over and over again. He wants to know that I knew that he knew what that thing was. And so he just, he'll just repeat himself over and over again till I, till I get it. Or if he doesn't know, he'll ask me what it is. But some of his favorite things when we're on a walk, some of the favorite things to point out are doggies. Loves doggies. Um, he loves basketball hoops. He'll point those out, basketball hoops. Uh, he loves uh, lawn mowers. anything like lawnmower. He's, he's very uncertain about being in their presence, uh, but he loves to point out that, there's, that, that they're there. Uh, he, and any kind of animal, he, he's starting. And he says hi to almost everybody that we, that we drive past. But anyhow, this one day we're walking together. I'm pushing him in the stroller. And there's this, this lady who's walking a dog, her dog. And uh, he loves to, like, Jacoby loves to pet dogs. And sometimes he's a little too, acts a little too familiar with them. I remember when he was really little, like four or five months old, he grabbed this big dog by the face and pulled it towards him. So that was neat. Um, Laughter. But So what we try to do when we're encountering people with dogs is you kind of try to get a feel with them, like, hey, is this safe or whatever? And this lady pretty, did a pretty good job of letting me know, like, yeah, we're going to go on the other side of the street here because my dog's not, not too safe. So I appreciated that. Uh, and so, But what happened was, as she was walking, I looked at her and I said, you know what? Right now with him, everything's new. Everything's exciting. Everything that he sees is just incredible. And she looked back at me, and she smiled, and she said, yeah, and you know what? It helps you to learn to see things that way, too, doesn't it? She says, it helps you to learn to see things like he does, too, doesn't it? And I thought to myself, it does. It totally does. You're right. That's so true. Walking with Jacoby through the neighborhood is a totally different experience than walking all by myself, right? Right? I I, I don't usually get excited about lawnmowers, but when I'm with him, like, there's something about it, like, I just can't wait to see when that that next lawnmower is going to, and I can kind of, like, you know, be proud of him for noticing it or whatever. But I thought to myself, it's true, it provides, walking with him provides this totally different perspective that I never would have gotten on my own. And the same thing is true when you and I choose, when we make the decision to do life with Jesus. When we walk with him, as we walk with him, he changes our perspective. He starts to transform us. And, and, and that happens in a, in a bunch of different ways. It happens when we read through scripture. When we, when we make the decision, hey, I'm going I'm to read through a little bit of the Bible today, and I'm going to ask God, would you speak to me through what it is that I'm reading? And as we do that, he starts to speak to us. And some people even say that while you're reading the Bible, it starts to read you. And God starts to speak to you through his word. It happens when we take time to pray, when we talk to God about what's going on in our lives. We allow him to, to speak speak to us. We we fill him in on on, on what we're thinking and feeling and going through. Maybe we, we write out some of those prayers sometimes in a journal or something like that. But that's what doing life with Jesus looks like. It happens when we set aside time to worship him, when we're intentional in saying, look, it's important for me to worship you, Jesus. Not just both both when we all show up together like this on a Sunday then also at at different times during the week on our own in a hundred different ways, we can do that. And then it also happens when we give ourselves away to other people. When we give ourselves away to other people, both those who share our hope in Jesus, who are sharing that and also excited about it, and oh boy, looking forward to this future hope that we have, as well as people who God's still waiting for, who God's still being patient for. When we walk with Jesus, it helps us learn to see things the way that he sees them. He starts to rub rub off on us. We start to to reflect him a little bit more and to see and to notice things like he does a little bit more. What happens is he starts to transform us. He starts to change us. That's what waiting well looks like. It's walking with Jesus. There's so much purpose, so much good. It comes in the waiting time. As diff- difficult and uncomfortable and awkward and painful as it is, God uses it to accomplish his purpose of transformation. Now, here's a, a brief video clip I want to show you that talks a little bit more about this process of transformation.
1: Lord, you know how I gravitate to the familiar, the known. You know how I like the feeling of being productive and purposeful. You know how easily I am drawn to activity as the answer, when truly my soul needs to learn some new pathways that lead to deeper formation. You know my fear of going into an unknown place with you and leaving others behind. During this tight passage of life, so many things feel between. From raising children, to sending children out into the world, from visiting parents, to caring for parents, from the summer of life to the fall of life. But I do not know where all of this is taking me. All of life feels like I'm living in an uncomfortable place in the between. On my best days, I sense anticipation as a friend, but on many days I am gripped by a fear of the unknown. I know that perfect love drives out fear, so infuse me with your unconditional love, driving out the fear of this tight passage called Between. Lord, for the good of my soul and for the sake of others, I embrace this transition, making a firm stand on the shifting ground of the uncomfortable between. This leap of faith sends me crashing into you, headlong, like a child fording a stream with his father, feet wet, hands soiled, heart pounding, yet grinning ear to ear, spending time with my father on the road less traveled. As I'm stepping on the upward way, my feet land in your footsteps that mark the path toward home. Between is a good place when I'm journeying with you. I'll draw close to your campfire and rest in its warmth. Master of my soul, I accept your call and embrace the uncomfortable between. The mountain pathway where you guide my soul.
0: By pastor Joel, uh, who's one of the, past- who's the lead pastor at Daybreak, and I love—I love what he says. Uh, the, the one phrase that he says, kind of near the end there, when he says, "Between is a good place to be when I'm journeying with you." Between is a good place to be when I'm journeying with you. When we walk with Jesus, He helps us learn to wait well. He helps us to find value in this in-between, awkward, difficult time where we're both looking towards the future with hope and excitement for what God promises will be, and living right here and right now in in the way that he originally intended us to live, with purpose. Now, I want to invite you uh, to take out your response card. If you've been to Daybreak before, you know we do this every week. I want to do it a little bit differently today. Um, On the back, there is a place, there's a few blank lines there where you can write down uh, if you have a prayer request, or if there's uh, a way that you felt challenged today that you, um, you feel like God challenged you. But what I I want to do, uh, is I want to close with something a, a little different because we're wrapping up this series together. We're, we're bringing it to, to an end. We've been, I think it was like 11 weeks or something that we've been reading through these, these two books together. And I'd like to take time before this next song to celebrate uh, with you some of the things that Scripture says is true about us. Some of the things that Scripture points out about you and me. As we live between two worlds, as we wait in this uncomfortable between. It's important that we're regularly reminded of who we are because of Jesus. And so I'm going to read this list of things that scripture says is true of us who are in Christ, who have accepted his sacrifice on the cross, who have asked him to be our leader and and forgiver, and, and who are choosing to walk with him. And as I do, I want you to listen. What I want you to do is I want you to listen to these and pick out one or two that jump out to you. Consider writing them down on your card as like a, a, something that you want to remember. And then as you go throughout this week, maybe once or twice these are the things you want to try to, uh, to, to keep pulling up to remember that this is what Jesus says about you. And if you're here today and you've never chosen to trust Jesus, that's not a decision that you've, that you've made yet. You've, you, you've not accepted his sacrifice for you. you. You've not asked him to be your leader and forgiver. Maybe today's your day. Maybe you want to choose today. Uh, to embrace him. Maybe this morning is the day where you first want to say, Jesus, I want to I want to embrace you. I want to look towards the future with this hope that you talk about. I want to live right now with this purpose that you talk about. So here are some things that scripture says is true about us. Because of Jesus, you are God's child. Because of Jesus, you are Christ's friend. You have been justified You are united with the Lord and are one in spirit with him. You have been bought with a price. You belong to God. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a saint, a holy one. You have been adopted as God's child. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You are complete in Christ. You are free from condemnation. You are assured that all things work together for good. You're free from any condemning charges against you. You cannot be separated from the love of God. You have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You are confident, you can be confident, that the good work God has begun in you will be perfected. You are a citizen of heaven. You are hidden with Christ in God. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You can find grace and mercy to help in your time of need. You were born of God and the evil one cannot touch you. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You are a branch of the true vine Jesus, a channel of his life. You have been chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit. You are a personal, spirit-empowered witness of Christ's. You are a temple of God, a minister of reconciliation for God, God's co-worker, and you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. You are God's workmanship, created for good works. You may approach God with freedom and confidence. And because of Jesus, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. I want to encourage you, whatever one or two of those things jumped out at you, write them down, remember them this, this week, grab a hold of them because I believe they will help you to, to, to find new ways to wait well when you're looking towards this future that God one day promises, but you're living in the present and seeking this purpose that he's called you to. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you and we celebrate you today. We thank you for who you are, who you've created us to be. We thank you that you walk with us, that you give us purpose in the present and a future that's full of hope. We love you and we praise you today. It's in your name that we pray.